Welcome to the Man Cave Podcast with Dan Casper. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Man Cave Podcast, brought to you by our awesome friends, Toys and Ford and Hy-Vee. Dan Casper here with you, as always, for every episode of the Man Cave Podcast. We've got a little bit of everything in this one. Uh, I'm going to talk a little hoops. Bucks got a big win last night uh, against the Denver Nuggets. Minnesota Timberwolves also got a huge win against the Clippers on the road. So quick chat on some hoops. What's grinding my gears? I'm going to tell you that. Who who is or who isn't or what is or what isn't cutting the muster? If you're not familiar with that phrase, it's like, you know, whoever, whatever's meeting expectations or surpassing them. I'll tell you my picks coming up here. In a little bit, uh, we lead off the the podcast though, talking a little football here. Just a couple days away, or a couple days after, I should say, after the Super Bowl, uh, was thinking about this. So I want to lead off the podcast talking some football, and but I kind of wanted to get uh, get your mind thinking here a little bit because in the last twenty four ish hours post Super Bowl and that. You know, we talked about Andy Reid's legacy, top 10 coach all time, top 5 coach all time. Now you got, you know, questions about Kyle Shanahan and trying to compare him to how Andy Reid was uh, with with Philly and such. And, you know, maybe already people out there saying that, that Shanahan maybe needs to change his scenery and that's what's going to help him become a better coach. You know, follow the Andy Reid path. Now, I think that's incredibly premature and not everything – works out the same exact way but you know a topic that once in a while kind of spikes up whether it's around a major championship or a world championship is like who's the best to not have a championship who's the best to to not have a ring and a lot of times we focus on it in terms of the player or players maybe teams you know best team to not win a championship you know, golf, it, the longest time, it was like the best to not have a championship. Phil Mickelson was that guy for the longest time, you know. Uh, football, when we do it around the Super Bowl, it's like, who's the best player to not have a Super Bowl? You know, you throw in Dan Marino, you throw uh, Barry Sanders. You know, a lot of the same names get thrown in that conversation. NBA, you know, a little bit in there, too. Some of the best to not have a championship. Barkley, Malone, Stockton, et cetera, et cetera. We do it all the time. And once in a while, we'll we'll hit on coaches. You know, like when you look at the NFL, historically, best coach, best coaches not, to not have a championship. I'd throw Marty Schottenheimer in there. I think if Marty Schottenheimer had a Super Bowl, I think you'd be hearing his name more or mention more about being in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Maybe he's already in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Throwing a guy like Dan Reeves. You know, those guys. Bunch of wins in the regular season. Not a lot of success in the postseason. And you kind of have to wonder if that's probably the big reason why they're not in their respective Hall of Fames. So yesterday, the other day, we were talking about Andy Reid and his legacy. Is he a top five coach of all time? Now, is he a top ten? And kind of the, I think, very interesting you know, career path that he's had You know, when he was done with, with Philly. He wasn't a Hall of Fame coach at that point. Probably had that title of active coach with best active coach without a title was up there but now goes to Kansas City and he's already got three he's got three championships now so uh, a completely 
different chapter, completely different story than like his first half of his career. And like I said, you're you're starting to hear the Shanahan talk, you know, trying to draw parallels to Andy Reid, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted to to kind of spin it and bring it to a to a Wisconsin field, to a to a Packer field here. And when you look at the current head coaches, by the way, you know, because we are in the offseason and such after the Super Bowl, and you're maybe you are looking at odds on, you know, favorites, MVP odds, Super Bowl odds. If anybody's wondering, Green Bay's got high expectations. We, we fans kind of figured there was going to be some higher expectations for this team next year, right? Or this upcoming season, next season, whatever, however we want to phrase it. Oddsmakers are kind of putting that on there too for, for Green Bay because right now, if you want to look at uh, DraftKings, Green Bay is tied with the Eagles and the Cowboys for the best odds to win the Super Bowl. Tied with Philly and Dallas. San Francisco's got the best odds, plus 550. Kansas City's a plus 650. Baltimore's third. Buffalo's fourth. Detroit's a plus 1,200 at five. Tied there with Cincy. Then you've got the Dolphins coming in at 7 at plus 1,700. Then it's Philly, then Green Bay, and Dallas. Expectations are going to be bigger next year for, for Green Bay. It's not just fans saying it. It's, that's the perception, and, and rightfully so. So, to, to kind of feed off that then, and to bring it back to, to Green Bay here a little bit, we know Malafleur is going to be maybe under a little bit more pressure too. I don't think he's on the hot seat. Not not that kind of pressure. But can he live up to the higher expectations that this team's going to have? So the question I'm I'm throwing out there is: Do you think right now of the of the coaches who don't have a title to the resume, current coach, not of all time, but current head coaches in the NFL? Do you think Matt LaFleur is a top five? Now, for, for, for this exercise, let's take away the, the coaches who are going to be first-time coaches, first-time head coaches coming into the, the, the next season. So that means, you know, like the, the Mike McDonald's for, from Seattle, we're going we're gonna to remove him from, from consideration. We're going to remove Brian Callahan for, from consideration. Dan Quinn counts. Because he was a head coach at one time. Atlanta took a team to the Super Bowl. Jim Harbaugh counts because 49ers and such. I guess if you want to count Antonio Pierce, I mean, interim head coach, but he's got some, yeah, some games under his resume. So, of the coaches, the current head coach right now, do you believe Matt LaFleur is a top five? I, my list, so my top five. I still think, Shannon, if I were to rank him, if I were to rank him, I still think Kyle Shannon's number one of the current, of the active head coaches in the NFL to not have a title. I think I'd still put Shanahan at number one for me. I know there's a lot of talk right now about, you know, his game management, postseason such, and we're going to get to that OT thing coming up here in a little bit. But 
of the guys, of the coaches that are listed that we have to the, this pool that we have to to pick from, I I'm still going to put him at number one. I'm going to put Sean McDermott at number two, head coach for the for the Buffalo Bills. You know, ever since he's been over there, we've had some ups and downs here and there and and, and such, but for the most part. Pretty darn solid. Four AFC East championships, six playoff bursts over there. He's done a pretty darn good job since being hired in 2017. Have they lived up to their expectations that they've had the last couple years? No, they haven't. I mean, I think you ask a Bills fan or maybe those across the the league probably thought, oh, is their window closing quickly? Is it closed? Should they have had a championship already? With Josh Allen, with some of their players on their team? Have they kind of fallen short? But again, this is an exercise of the coaches out there who don't have a championship. I still like Sean McDermott. I think you got to put him on that list. I'm going to put him at number two for me. Then things get a little interesting for, for, for me. Okay? Things get a little bit more interesting for me. I'm going to put Harbaugh at number three. I'm going to put Jim Harbaugh there. And there was a part of me that actually wanted to maybe put him at number two. But I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt here for, for McDermott. And, you know, Harbaugh has been away from the NFL game, but he's had uber success at, at the at the college level. But I'm going to go Jim Harbaugh at number three. And a lot of it is just based off of what we've seen him do in San Francisco. He's been to a Super Bowl, right? Took a team to a Super Bowl couple of uh, NFC Championship games when he was with uh, with the 49ers. Uber success in, in the college level. Coming back to, to the NFL. It's a lot of expectations now. There's a lot of assumption that, you know, he's gonna he's the guy that's going to lead the Chargers back to the postseason, have success in the postseason. I think that's a great hire by the Chargers. I think he's going to do so, some good things over there, and based off the resume, you know, because he is a two-time now NFL head coach, I, I kind of put Harbaugh on there. Maybe, maybe that's wrong. But I don't want to be right. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna go Harbaugh at, at at three, even though he's missed some time. And four, five. We got two spots left on this thing, on this little. On this list, we got. We haven't mentioned Lafleur yet. We haven't mentioned Dan Campbell yet, who just got to an FC Championship, first time in the postseason, though. We haven't mentioned Zach Taylor, who went to a Super Bowl with the Bengals. Do you go a little Nick Sirianni with the Eagles? He's also been to a Super Bowl just a couple of years ago. So we've got. We got a good list, but I'm I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to put Matt Lafleur at number four. I'm I'm going to put Lafleur at number four. I think that arrow is trending upward. I've got high expectations for Lafleur, not only for for this year, but for the next couple of years here. He obviously, you know, his first three years in the league set a bunch of records for for wins and such. And I know some people are still going to give. A ton of credit to, you know, to Aaron Rodgers and such. Whatever, if you want to do that, go ahead and do it. But my argument would be too, 
hey, you know what? They weren't winning a bunch of games before that, too. If it was all Aaron Rodgers, maybe Mike McCarthy would still be the head coach over there in Green Bay, kind of covering a lot of that stuff. You still got to give credit to, to the coach. And Matt LaFleur has done a pretty darn good job since he's been in Green Bay. I mean, we're maybe a couple plays away from him being in the postseason every single year as, as a head coach. Has his shortcomings, no doubt about it. You can even talk about some of his game management stuff, especially earlier on. Shanahan has that. McDermott has that. A lot of these coaches had it. Andy Reid had it for the longest time in his career. But I'm I'm going to put Matt LaFleur at, at number four for me. I know a lot of people probably won't agree with it. Probably yelling right now, saying I'm an idiot. But I just look at what he's done so far, and now the job that he has done with, with Jordan Love, the early indications, and those higher expectations coming in, I think Matt LaFleur is a pretty darn good coach. 675 win percentage in the regular season. 3-4 and four in the postseason. Got to get better over there. It's a smaller sample size, but still. I think he's done a pretty darn good job. And then number five. This one's tough. I know the popular pick for a lot of people is probably going to be, we got to go Dan Campbell. I'm not going to go Dan Campbell. I think he's a guy that could get there, but I'm not going to go with Dan Campbell right now. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to go with... (sighs) Zach Taylor went to a Super Bowl... I think this past year, injuries really kind of derailed their season to Joe Burrow and such. I might have to go based off of resume and such. Nick Sirianni. I mean, you you look at the job he's done with, with Philly. Yeah, you look at last year and how they flamed out. That's a cause for concern. I think he is more on the hot seat this year. Than, than what Matt Floor would be or, or a lot of coaches. I think he is squarely on the hot seat right now. But you still can't deny three, you know, since being hired, 2021, three straight playoff appearances, was in a Super Bowl, 667 winning percentage, but definitely on the hot seat for, for, for this year. Now, for other coaches who are maybe outside the top five that I could easily see jumping in that top five, I'd throw Campbell in there in a heartbeat, absolutely. I'd 100% I'd throw him in there. I'd throw Mike McDaniel in that, that equation, the Dolphins head coach. I'd throw those two in there like, yeah, I could definitely see those guys jumping up and being in there. Um, Maybe a little Zach Taylor, depending on how they bounce back. I just, I'm really worried about Joe Burrow's injury. We've talked to Dr. Crow about that, and, oh, yeah, I just, I hope he can bounce back. I like Brian Dayball as a head coach, but I just think that's a weird situation with the Giants right now. But I would say, you know, my next two, my next three, I'm, I'd i put Campbell, and I would put Mike McDaniel, and I'd throw maybe a little Zach Taylor in there too. Jury's still out for me on – actually, no – the other name I was trying to think of that I would put right into that mix, right on the outside, but I could easily see jumping in that top five soon. I love D'Amico Ryans, Houston Texans head coach. The job that he had did with Houston this past year, to me, should have been 
Coach of the Year. No offense to Kevin Stefanski, who I would probably put in that next group as well, that next group that could jump up into a top five of maybe you know best to not have that have that ring. But D'Amico Ryan's the instant culture change. They made some good moves in the offseason, played the draft perfectly. C.J. Stroud, Anderson, played a perfect – for the first couple of years where it just looked like a complete mess in Houston. Like, what are they doing? They can't even find a guy to coach this this team. They nailed it on the D'Amico Ryans one. I am – of all the other coaches, I'm probably the most high on, on, on D'Amico Ryans just because I think the job that – he did this past year, and his future. I think it's. I think if you're a Texas fan, you're you're pumped, and that's why I think you hear a lot of, again, like maybe some of the national peeps out there, outside observers, really high on the futures of the Texans, but also Green Bay. A lot of it is because of their young new quarterback, C.J. Stroud, offensive rookie of the year, surpassed everyone's expectations, maybe besides Stroud and the Texans. But I am really eyeing D'Amico Ryans. I think he's going to be maybe that next guy that jumps into that top five there for for me. And it kind of, you know, you go to, I saw this a little bit earlier. CBS Sports had their um, five teams to watch for this offseason. Five teams to watch. The top two, Texans and the Packers. Uh, as as this writer, the going to give credit here, uh, Tyler Sullivan notes with the Texans. The Texans are going to be a sexy pick by many at the start of the next season to win the Super Bowl. I don't know if I'd pick them. Uh, they hit a home run at the draft last year. Stroud, Will Anderson, core pieces, right? Uh, it'll be fascinating to see what the ceiling for Houston is in 2024. The club also has the fifth most cap space in the league this offseason, giving it plenty of ammunition to build around Stroud. Completely agree. If you're a free agent, Houston is more attractive now. Houston is more attractive than what it was the last couple of years. I would love to play for a guy like D'Amico Ryans. And then you see C.J. Stroud and such. Absolutely. Number two is Green Bay. Similar to the Texans, the Packers popped a bit earlier than expected in what was set to be a transition year with Jordan Love taking over for Aaron Rodgers. Green Bay was able to make it into the playoffs and advance to the divisional round. They nearly reached the NFC Championship as well by taking the 49ers down to the wire. Love is under contract for next season, but nothing beyond that. Most likely, he and the Packers come to terms on a lucrative extension this offseason. If they could continue to build around this young roster, they could be competitive for many seasons to come. And the other three teams... Different than what they have about Texans, Texans and Packers. You're talking about young core group looking pretty darn good. Their their next three teams to watch is Jets. Don't think I have to tell you for a lot of reasons. New England, kind of a new era, right? No Bill Belichick, and then Washington. Bunch of cap space. First full off season with with a you know new ownership group, new coach and such. Washington fans got to be feeling. You know, maybe not for for this year, but hope. There's hope that things will start to turn around a little bit for them. So, who's your top five? 
it or or just simply answer do you think Matt LaFleur right now is a top five head coach current head coach in the league that doesn't have a title of the coaches who don't have a title is he a top five I believe he is my rankings he's at number four let's take a quick break and then coming up next I'm going to talk a little hoops but also who cut the mustard and grind my gears that's coming up after these quick words Are you thinking of taking a spring break trip this year? Or maybe you're already eyeing up that summer vacation, but you're not quite sure if you have the proper transportation for those road trips. Hey, that's where Toys and Ford can help you. Toys and Ford has a wide selection of new and used vehicles for you to check out. And at Toys and Ford, they treat you like an honored guest. They will work with you on financing no matter what your budget may be. So if you're looking for that new vehicle this year, head to Toys and Ford, located at 1000 Chippewa Crossing Boulevard in Chippewa Falls. We are always looking to save a little money in our pockets, but we still need our essentials like our grocery items. So how do you save money while also getting what you need for your family? Hy-Vee Perks. If you shop at Hy-Vee, you're already getting a great deal on quality items throughout the store. But now you can save more money with Hy-Vee Perks on different items each week. Saving some money is easy if you shop at Hy-Vee in Eau Claire. So take advantage of these awesome deals and sales and stop on over at Hy-Vee in Eau Claire today. My grind my gears. I'm going to go back to the football world here. And I get it. Day after a Super Bowl or day after a game, you get a little overreaction Monday, sometimes a little hot take Monday. Sometimes it's all good good fun, you know, tongue-in-cheek sort of stuff. But I, I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of annoyed by at least from from some of the national stuff out there, about the, the, the hate, and hate might be a little bit too strong a word, but the the flack that, that Brock Purdy is, is, is getting here. And I think it's a little unfair. I think it's a little unfair. I don't know of anybody who necessarily put Brock Purdy on the same pedestal as a Patrick Mahomes. I know he was an MVP finalist or, or talked about you know potentially being an MVP winner this year. And Brock Purdy is not in the same level as a Patrick Mahomes or anything like that. But I do feel like he is getting uh, a little unfairly criticized, especially from yesterday. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he was the last pick in a draft a couple years ago. The last pick in a draft. He's not supposed to be in this situation because why is he not supposed to be in this situation? He's not supposed to be there because that's not how it's supposed to work out. It was supposed to be top picks. It was supposed to be Trey Lance. It was supposed to be all these other players. It's unfathomable for for so many people that pick number 262 could actually be a good player, could actually be a decent player, could lead a team to the Super Bowl. Did Brock Purdy do it himself? Heck no, he didn't. Did he have a lot of talent? He absolutely has a lot of talent on that 49ers team. He's got an all-pro tight end. He's got an all-pro wide receiver. He's got an all-pro running back. He's got an all-pro left tackle. That helps. Solid defense. That helps. But let's not also act like Brock Purdy, like the 49ers won a bunch of games in spite of Brock Purdy. So yesterday, day after Super Bowl, I get it. It's... Made for overreaction Monday. It's made for hot takers for, for some people. 
but it just felt like it was getting a little too much yesterday of the the criticism of one Brock Purdy. Think about the the, the last two years for, for Brock Purdy here. He's a rookie last year on a team that Trey Lance, the 49ers, moved up to, to get to. Supposed to be the future of that team, right? He's supposed to be the guy. They they traded a lot to get him. Then Jimmy G, they bring back Jimmy G, backup, veteran backup. Nobody in the world knew who the heck Brock Purdy was. I don't even think the 49ers knew exactly what they had in Brock Purdy. He gets forced into starting because of injuries. And what does the guy do? He leads the team to the NFC Championship last year. Maybe even leads the 49ers to the Super Bowl if he doesn't get hurt in that NFC Championship game. We don't know. And then what does he do this year? He comes back from that elbow injury. His coach essentially tells him, hey, if we can get Tom Brady, we're going to try to get Tom Brady for you. You're still our guy for the future, but if we can get Brady, we're going to try to get Brady. Deals with that. Deals with the the constant media. He's like, yeah, he's just a game manager, blah, blah, blah. Goes out there, has a solid season, leads his team to, to a Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes in his second year. Think about that for... The lot, like the whole year and a half. Pretty darn impressive for the last pick in the draft. Is he a top five quarterback in the league? No, I wouldn't put him top five. But let's we're we're so quick. So many people, sports media or, or just in general, are so quick to just point out the negatives or jump on, you know, something or somebody when when they lose a game or or maybe have a a little bit of a poor performance or something like that. With this guy, it's 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 a pretty cool story. And I think he's kind of getting, you know, this instant need to to completely diss all the time. I think he's it's getting a little over the top for, for Brock Purdy. Again, is he a Patrick Mahomes level type quarterback? No, he's not. Not not there. A little unfairly criticized from some uh national peeps out there will say that's my grind my gears if you got to grind my gears you can let us know via the shoe doctors bullpen line all right uh we've got some hoops games on the docket tonight if you're a hoops fan you're uh you're liking this schedule especially if you are a wisconsin or maybe just like a midwest basketball fan marquette's going to start it off for us tonight 5 30 taking on butler marquette Moving up in the rankings now, according to the latest AP polls, number four in the country. They're taking on Butler, uh, eighteen and five. Marquette overall this season. Butler, sixteen and eight. Marquette is favored by four and a half. We'll make these picks at the back end of the hour here. But um, you also got Wisconsin, as we mentioned, eight p.m. tip time against Ohio State. Wisconsin trying to end that four-game losing streak there. But also on the NBA side of things, you've got uh, the Bucks back in action, back-to-back game after that big win last night against against the Denver Nuggets. They're going to do it again, 7 p.m. against the Miami Heat this time. Second-to-last game before the All-Star break here. They got this game, then they got a quick trip to, to Memphis on Thursday, and then they got the All-Star break coming up this weekend. So... Uh, Bucks. I, I know it's kind of a kind of a, a small sample size 
very small sample size, but maybe starting to get a little bit of a glimpse of some improved defensive play from this team. Giannis, after the game, saying, guys are just being on the same page. Doc is holding us to a high standard. He wants us to defend. It doesn't take lack of of effort as an excuse. If you're on the floor, you've got to do your best. Rivers afterwards. Uh, this is a nugget here from ESPN. Milwaukee started 1-5 under Rivers, giving up 119.2 points per game in those six contests. But in back-to-back wins, the Bucks have held opponents to 89.5 points per game. Rivers saying, just steady progress, believing in your defense, trusting it, clarifying it, what we want to do. The more we can get our guys to know exactly what we're doing, they can play at full speed. That's what we're trying to do, simplify so we can play with fire. Damian Lillard. This is an interesting note. Rivers also said before we get to Damian Lillard quote, uh, Rivers estimated that the coaching staff has spent about 70% of its available time uh, working with the team on defense and that the focus has been about making sure the team is on the right page. Damian Lillard saying, I think it's just uh, the accountability. When we're watching film, we're in our meetings and practice. I think Doc and our entire staff they're doing a great job great job of just calling everything out. They're challenging us in a lot of different ways. Our communication, how physical we are, how we carry ourselves as a group, trying to find our identity. Who do we want to be? Who are we going to who are we going to step like we who are we going to step like when we get on the floor? And I think we're just having a lot of carryover because there's so much conversation around it. Again, it's a it's a small sample size. It's a, it's a very small sample size, but maybe some improvements over there. We'll see if that can continue tonight with the Heat. The Timberwolves coming off their big win from last night, still in that number one spot in the Western Conference, thanks to the Bucks defeating the Nuggets, but also take care of business because they are in a battle with the with the Clippers for that number one spot. But. Um, they're now a full one-game lead over the OKC Thunder for first place. They're going to be taking on the Portland Trailblazers. Minnesota Timberwolves picking up that very impressive win on the road last night against the against the Clippers. Excuse me, uh, one hundred and twenty-one to one hundred. You had Carl Anthony Towns helping lead the way with twenty-four points for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Timberwolves one of the best since we're talking about defense. They are one of the better defensive teams in the entire NBA, uh, holding the Clippers to just 100 points last night. It was the third quarter that the Timberwolves really kind of, you know, set themselves apart, if you will, outscoring the Clippers 40 to 19. 40 to 19. Anthony Edwards also helping out the cause with his 23 points, nearly a triple double for him: 23 points, eight assists, and seven rebounds. So. Uh, both these games, both these teams, Bucks and T-Wolves, also in action tonight. Timberwolves a little bit later because they're on their West Coast trip right now as they take on the Blazers at 9 p.m. They also take on the Blazers on Thursday at 9 p.m. So a little back-to-back before the All-Star break. And then it's Bucks and T-Wolves in Minnesota next Thursday. Who cut the mustard and who didn't cut the mustard again uh, we kicked this off uh, last week. If you're not familiar with the with the phrase "cut the mustard," I'll tell you what it kind of means. 
Uh, it, it means to, you know, kind of reach or surpass desired performance. So it's like studs or duds, essentially. We're just renaming it here because Ray's Place, we're good friends over there at Ray's Place, not only known for the hot beefs, the ham sandwiches, the Spanish stew, but, oh, the mustard over there, too. So who cut the mustard and who did it? I got a couple for who cut the mustard, and then uh, I've got one for uh, who did it. So first of all, first off, I'm going to go last night, Victor Webinyama for who cut the mustard. Now, this is a kid. This is a kid. I'm going to call him a kid because, what, he's still 19 years old or whatever he's at right now? That if we rewind it to the draft this previous summer, I mean, you had national analysts out there already, like, you know, planting their flags saying, this is a guy, best prospect to ever come through the draft. I mean, even touting him more than, than like, LeBron and such. I mean, there was people incredibly high on this kid, like, just setting the bar really high. I mean, lot. I mean, this was this was a kid coming in with a lot of expectations. I mean, he's tall, what seven six seven seven. So I mean, he's 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 a big guy. He's a big kid over there. But last night, last night he recorded his second triple double of his rookie year. But this time, it was his first that included blocks into the equation. Ten. Blocks, 27 points, 14 rebounds, 10 blocks, 5 assists, all of which came in 29 minutes of action. He is the first player, first player, according to ESPN Stats and Information, with 10 blocks and 5 assists in under 30 minutes played. Now, I know there's going to be some people that will probably downplay, like, well, yeah, well, look how tall he is. No doubt he's got, like, how many blocks? I mean, 7'4", I think I said 7'6", 7'4", 7'4", he's officially listed as. But still, when you add in the 29 minutes of play, that's pretty darn impressive. So far in his rookie year, 20.4 points per game, 10.1 rebounds per game. Also has 3.2 assists and... So far this season, averaging 3.2 blocks per game. Victor Webanyama, for all of the hype and all of the talk coming in to, to this season, he's living up to it, and hopefully, I, I, if he can stay healthy, if he can stay healthy, I think this is a dude that is going to be, is going to have a fantastic career ahead of him. Second, for cut the mustard, I mean, this is kind of a a no dull one, kind of a generic one there. But you got to give it up for for Kansas City again. Another Super Bowl, third title. We are seeing a dynasty. I know that was a question leading into this thing. This is a dynasty right now. Anybody who doesn't think it is, I mean, come on now, three titles. Patrick Mahomes is twenty eight. Andy Reid's coming back. Travis Kelsey's coming back. There's there's no there's there's nothing out there to say that this team won't be a contender for the for next year or for the next couple of years. This the Kansas City Chiefs are the bar right now. Of all the teams in the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs are the bar. For the longest time it was the Patriots. Kansas City is now that team. They've cut the must. That's an easy one. 
shout out to, to the Chiefs, another Super Bowl championship for for them. And you can include you can narrow it down if you want to do it to just Andy Reid or Patrick Mahomes. I'm going with the organization overall. Now with that, who didn't cut the mustard? I'm going with the 49ers from some of the comments that came after the game about the overtime rules. Several 49ers players admitted after the game they didn't know the new rules when overtime started. Whereas the Chiefs, you had some players coming out saying they knew about it because they talked through it for weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. They were prepared for it. This does not paint a good picture for you know, Cal Shanahan, the 49ers, coaching staff. You know, we talk about, you know, when, when Bill Belichick was coaching the Patriots, which is still kind of weird to say was coaching the Patriots, but when Bill Belichick was coaching the Patriots, you always heard, like, he went through how many different scenarios. Like, they would coach and, and be prepared for any type of scenario. And now we're. this is an example here again, maybe, of another veteran coaching staff preparing for any type of scenario. Here's some of the comments. This is from Yahoo Sports. Multiple San Francisco players said after the game that they were not aware that the overtime rules are different in the playoffs than they are in the regular season. And strategy discussions over how to handle the overtime period did not occur as a team. Defensive lineman Eric Armstead said he learned the details of the postseason rule when it was shown on the stadium Jumbotron during a TV timeout. Kyle Juszczyk, the, the fullback, said he assumed the 49ers asked to receive when they won the toss because that's what you do in the regular season, when a touchdown wins the game. Quote, I guess that's not the case. I don't really know the strategy. Chiefs, meanwhile, this was from Yahoo Sports, says the Chiefs' overtime plan worked out exactly how they had hoped. And it wasn't by accident. Kansas City safety Justin Reed told the ringer that the Chiefs had first discussed the new overtime rules as far back as training camp. Defensive lineman Chris Jones told uh, told, play, told me players were prepared for what to expect if the Super Bowl went to overtime. Quote, we talked through this for two weeks, how we was going to give the ball to the opponent. If they scored... We were going to go for two at the end of the game. We rehearsed it. Little details. Little details. Part of me, when I when I was watching that game, and when the 49ers won the toss, and they elected to receive, my first thought was, okay, maybe they're receiving because you know Patrick Mahomes was just on the field. They didn't want to kind of continue that momentum. They didn't want to give the the Chiefs offense, you know, pick up where they kind of left off. They were just on the field. They had drove driven down the field, had the field goal. Maybe they didn't want to give the ball right back to Mahomes and have him just drive the drive the the length of the field and and come away with a touchdown right away. That that was was like, okay, maybe that's what they're thinking. Apparently it wasn't. Apparently it wasn't. It doesn't look good. It doesn't. It, it kind of shows the differences of some coaching staffs that look at every single detail. 
prepare for, for every single detail. Now, Shanahan, it says here, knew the strategy, but it hadn't filtered down to all the players. I guarantee you now, this might be a wake-up call for other teams that look at this and be like, okay, we're going to prepare for this. We're, we're going to get ready for this. Maybe this was something we overlooked. Maybe this was something that uh, you know we didn't uh, necessarily prepare for. Now, let's, let's make sure we, we go through this. So... 49ers, preparing for every situation, preparing for the smallest of details. Didn't cut the mustard, man. You didn't cut the mustard there. All right. Well, we've still got some time if you want to play along with us for our raised place. Who cut and who didn't cut the mustard? Hoops-wise, switching gears here a little bit. Bucks are back in action tonight. Nice win for for the Bucks last night. Good win for the Bucks last night. Solid win. Home against the Denver Nuggets, holding them to under a hundred points in the game. And I know it was the Hornets beforehand, but the last two opponents the Bucks have held to under a hundred points. And this, I mean, the Nuggets are one of the best teams in the association, in the league, defending NBA champs. And I know it's a small sample size, but I think. Or maybe we're starting to see some glimpses of improved defensive play with this Bucks squad. A quote Justin Garcia, Milwaukee Bucks radio network analyst, who had tweeted after the game saying, Doc Rivers said he thought the Bucks half-court defense against the Nuggets was excellent in the first game. They had a 107 rating in that game. And then last night, the defense held the Nuggets to an 85.4 half-court offensive rating. Even better than the first one. Doc also talked about a lot of film room, film session work, and being kind of brutally honest with a lot of the guys. Especially, you know, when they're kind of looking back at, at the first game against the Nuggets and Jamal Murray and such. Just being open and honest with everything. And sometimes the truth hurts. But he talked a lot about how the Bucks have been really kind of having these these film sessions. Here's another nugget, too, about uh, the Bucks' defensive play from, from last night. Again, from, from Justin Garcia. The Bucks have an 84.2% defensive rebounding rate through three quarters. Through three quarters of that game last night. And that was against the sixth best offensive rebounding team in the league. But, again, I I don't want to put too much on just one game or maybe a a couple games. But could this potentially be a glimpse of what this team could do on the defensive side? Going back to that film session stuff, this was from Eric Nate, who covers the Bucks for The Athletic said that uh, Doc Rivers has talked regularly about having some tough film sessions since becoming the Bucks head coach and talking about this Nuggets game. He's talking about uh, uh, Jamal Murray leading into last night's game. Quote, he killed us that night talking about the first game, and we showed pick after pick after pick that we just melted on, melted on, melted on, melted on. And Malik and those guys, they heard it enough. I mean, they've been sick of it, obviously, but we showed them the game before the other nights. 
versus the Hornets. We didn't get picked at all. And then we follow it with just running into picks in the first game versus Denver. And Murray's going to make tough shots anyways, but if you're going to run into a pick, he's really going to make them. I thought we did a great job getting over picks and fighting over them. So really utilizing Fillmore to try to improve the defensive performances from the Bucks so far. It seems to be a big thing with, with Doc Rivers. And maybe some very, very early results starting to see some improvement here. Because of the Bucks, we know the Bucks. I mean, I know some of their offense numbers have been down scoring-wise. But if the Bucks all of a sudden are going to play some consistently solid defense, we know they can score. This changes the entire team. And I think you start to feel a little bit better about, hey, all right, more of a complete team playing complementary basketball. Again, don't want to put all my eggs in one basket after just a couple games, but this was something we were talking about the other day. We want to start to see it all kind of figured out, starting to see it in a rhythm, in a flow, playing that complementary basketball. Maybe the Bucs are just starting to, to touch on that surface. That is going to do it for us on this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. Again, brought to you by our good friends from High V and Toyson Ford. Big thanks for tuning in. As always, if you got a few seconds, I would really appreciate it if you could take a few seconds to give us a five-star rating, like on Apple and Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast, and give us a, a positive review, like on Apple, so others can find the podcast. And don't forget, click that follow and subscribe button. And the podcast is also on YouTube. Just look up uh, our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at sign Dan Casper. It's kind of a weird address, YouTube, uh, over there. But podcast is also available over there. Till next time, I'm Dan Casper again. Big thanks for tuning in, and I will talk to you on the next episode of the Man Cave Podcast.